Hi there, and welcome to the R3 podcast, a podcast about revival, renewal, and revitalization in the local church. I'm Paul Tillman, pastor of Parkwood Church, a revitalization work in the Twin Cities of Minnesota. And I'm Jeremy Gertis, pastor of Deborah Heights Wesleyan Church, a revitalization work in Des Moines, Iowa. We're just two pastors in the trenches of church revitalization, here to encourage and ignite the imaginations of other revitalizing leaders. And we are so glad that you're here. Hi there, and welcome to episode 14 of the R3 podcast. This is the fourth episode in our series about the life cycle of the church and how that affects our strategies for revitalization. Uh, We're excited to talk today with our very important guest speaker today his name is oh wait he's not a guest it's it's paul tillman it's just me (laughs) but that's okay this is i'm coming in as the quote-unquote guest because this is where my church was when i got here so um we'll take my experience for what it's worth yeah in the last couple of episodes we've talked about uh, the the uphill side of the life cycle of the church from birth to adolescence and we talked a little bit about the adult church and the middle-aged church. And today we're going to talk about the church in retirement, the church that has met the, reached the point where it is wanting to be retired. And we're going to talk about what that looks like, how it got there, and what needs to happen in order to get us back onto the left side of the church life cycle. Let's make sure that we understand we've been talking about four key factors in this, the vision, the relationships, the actions, and the, the uh, uh, structures. structures, that's right, brain <laughs> freeze there for a second. That's right. So Jeremy, tell me in the retirement church, what is going well? What is going well? The retirement church has established actions. It is getting things done and it has the structures in place to, to support them and to continue to sustain them uh, for at least the foreseeable future. So the structure continues to sustain the action. Uh, that's probably the best thing that's happening yeah. in the re- retired church. And so because of that, a church can look healthy. Yes. Um, Money is coming in. Ministry is getting done. Yes. I I think very much uh, there's a church in Revelation chapter three says that uh, you have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Ouch. Right. Oh, yeah. And so what is missing here is vision, um, which is key. That's what we started you know, the, the birth with, with vision. Now it doesn't mean nobody is talking about vision, but it's probably, I'd say it's not the right vision. Um, my church here, one of the things when I first got here is there was a master site plan and there was still one building left to be built on it. And so people talked about the next building phase. That was the vision of the church. The problem with that vision is way back to our first episode in this season, a building's not about people. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Sometimes you get the, you get a semblance of vision at this point, but it's looking the wrong direction. 
whether it's to a building instead of what you're going to do with transforming people or to the past, it was so awesome back then or whatever it might be. If there is a vision, it's, it's out of whack with what it should be. Yep. And then what's also missing is relationships have taken a backseat as well. Um, it's, we know each other, maybe we even like each other, but there's an internal focus. We're not making new relationships. Yeah. You're just having relationships with each other. Um, yeah. We're focused on our own thing, our own people. We don't really care what's happening in the rest of the world outside. One of the side effects of that is that there begin to be little squabbles. And probably the first place you'll see this is in the budget. I need this much for my ministry, the ministry that I am supposed to be in charge of. Well, no, I need this much for this ministry. Yep. If, if things are short or start, because this is where things might start to get tight and people are starting to lay claim to keeping their structures in place. Yes, exactly. And a, a huge part of that then is, okay, if I'm squabbling here, there's not going to be room to forge new relationships beyond this spot. So, yeah, so this is, this is a tricky thing because this is when our stats might start trending downward. It could be, um, now here's the thing, we have to look at the right stats. Um, financially, we may be doing okay. Um, but the question is, you know, are we growing um, financially or are we plateaued? Um, where are, where is the money coming from? Is it, you know, sustainable? Um, the, uh, an important one to look at is not just weekly attendance, but guests and visitors, new people coming into yeah. the church. Um, you know, we could have, you could have steady attendance. Hey, we're getting 75 people a week, hundred people a week, a thousand people a week. Is it the same thousand people that you had last week and the week before and the week before? Yeah. Um, so yeah. uh, there has to be a newness, you know, otherwise you're technically you're going downward. Um, yeah. You want to look for first time guests. You want to look for repeat guests because a lot of people will check out a church once, but then never come back. So watch those stats. And if they start trending downward, there's a good chance you've entered the retirement phase. Um, there's also a growing sense, especially among the leaders, but other people are beginning to notice it as well that, you know what? The church is not quite as strong as it used to be. Something's not quite right. We're not moving as quickly or as focused as we were before. Yeah. And that lack of focus is in part because of lack of vision and what people who are more decisive than others might start putting forward their own vision because the church as collective does not have a united vision. Yeah. And so we have one person saying, well, I think we should do, you know, we need to focus on youth and another person saying, well, I, we need to focus on being multi-ethnic or we need to focus on taking care of our old people or, or what it, yeah. it is. And these are ministry niches. And it's, again, it's, it's people staking claim to keeping their structure in place. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's because there's no one clear unified vision for the church anymore. Yes. So again, we see the squabbles beginning as the relationships begin to weaken because there's no vision uniting everybody in the same direction. Um, if you want to look at the Bible, 
and compare this to anywhere, I would suggest looking at Rehoboam. In 1 Kings chapter 12, Rehoboam kind of takes over at a point where Israel was at a clear crossroads. For the beginning of Solomon's reign, you might remember, uh, they did really well. In fact, they pivoted and they made a, a crucial transition from a, a nation of, of conquest into a, a nation of, of building and, and doing amazing things, consolidating the, the nation. And, and now, as Solomon's reign has continued, they've kind of lost that direction. They've kind of lost that sense. And, and when Rehoboam took over, the, it was clear. Everybody knew something wasn't quite right. Something has to change. They're, they were at a clear crossroads. Um, the, the thing is, when Rehoboam took over, he called in the advisors and they said, hey, we can fix this. All we got to do is you know, stop demanding so much of the people. They're, they're being enslaved. They're working so hard. If we just tweak this and tweak that, we can fix this. And they gave him this fantastic advice. The problem is Rehoboam thought that, you know what? No, I don't want to do that because it's it challenges my ego. It hurts to make those sacrifices. I want to have monuments and memorials and buildings like my dad did. And so he didn't do it. It's frustrating it, to look at that part of Israel's well, it, history. It, and it's hard. This is where a hard change is needed and it's going to affect egos. And this is, this is where I can see some stuff uh, from my church um, just, or just before I came, we had just put in a brand new parking lot. Now, this is in the 2000s, and for the first time ever, this church actually has a paved parking lot. So this was long overdue type thing. And so that was a big deal. And so it was, it was nice, and it's okay. We got this brand new parking lot outside. But as I looked around the inside of the church building, things had not been taken care of. Um, our boiler just, it, it leaked oil. And the paint... Uh, you know, in the classrooms was very much dated, like from the 1990s, VeggieTales stuff. And, and, but a lot of this stuff that needed to be redone, people were very proud of and didn't want to change it. Um, and so it, it was, like I said, we, we had a ton of deferred maintenance that I didn't know about. And when I, the first rain came and the roof started leaking everywhere and I said, what is this? And everybody just said, well, that's the way it's always been. <laughs> um, I mean, literally. And, 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 and so there was some major things. There were some that, that from an outsider could say, this is obvious. You're, you're just kind of supporting what's going on and you're not doing anything to, to go into the future. Yeah. But we could look like we did because we had a brand new parking lot outside problem is it was nicer in the parking lot than it was inside the building um that's not good yeah that's 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 not the way it should be um yeah and so there was there was this idea that when i came in that we were at the middle age plateau that we just needed a new vision and and people would get on board and we do this next great thing uh the problem was we were already past that point 
Um, and I think if an outside consultant would have come in and, and just look at how far, how much deferred maintenance we had on this building and how tied to the past people were, they would have said, no, you need to do way more than vision here. Yeah. Um, That's the advantage of having an outside consultant come in, somebody with objective eyes. They can come in and see this stuff and say, okay, you're a little bit further down the hill than, than you thought you were. Yeah. Um, what, what happens here is a lot more actions and structures can be built in to a system in order to keep the numbers up, um, in order to make it, in, instead of revisioning, we add a ministry. Um, and then that, that brings in some more bodies. You know, yeah. uh, for us here, right before I got here, we added a satellite congregation in another town. Um, that was a good thing to have that, that I'm not against having satellite congregations, but what that did is that, that, uh, those numbers bolstered, bolstered our, our statistics. So it looked like we were growing when actually we weren't. Yeah. It concealed um, the actual situation. Yeah. So, but we, it added a ministry, um, yeah. The previous pastor added a Friday night worship service for youth. That's a wonderful thing, but it was also a way to pad statistics. Yeah. It made it harder to see what was actually happening. Yeah. I, I think it's important to recognize that these were also silver bullets, that they were seen as solutions to the problem that were supposed to be quick and easy bolt it on and you're good to go right load up your gun with the silver bullet and automatically accurate and everything's going to be great there is a definite temptation at this point to look for silver bullets yep and that and some people might have looked at me coming in as a silver bullet you know too and well but they were right there yeah sure <laughs> yeah maybe i saw myself that way even you know but um there were some serious things that we had to look at um like i said people had the vision of this new building that we were going to build and i straight out told our leadership board we're not taking care of the building we have why would we want to spend millions of dollars on a new building and and we we need to get a hundred thousand dollars together to take care of this one um yeah you know unless we're just going to hit it with a you know unless we're going to demolish it um yeah or so, we're going to let it fall down around us yeah let's fall down around so that was that was uh that was a financial sticker shock you know, yeah, and to to figure out oh well we have to pay for this. Um, there was ministry sticker shock, you know, to say hey we are we have to drop this in order to focus on something else. Yeah, um, and and pe people are used to the status quo. Um, this is the way we've done it. I had somebody tell me, you know, one of my leaders saying they said, well we've always been a, we are a small church. We've always been a small church. We're always going to be a small church. This was somebody who was not willing to change anything. Um, and if that's the way it was going to be, then we would have died. Yeah. So, Paul, how would you say that your church arrived at this stage on the life cycle? So several things. Uh, the biggest one is uh, revisioning didn't happen early enough. Um Vision instead was tied to building projects instead of to uh, life transformation. So yeah. we waited too waited too long there, and the frustrating thing is there there was potential 
for that to be there. Our our uh, community had changed. The younger generation is multi-ethnic. I even found old pictures of young people at this church, multi-ethnic youth group. And but by the time I got here, I said, well, where are all these people? Well, it's because discipleship wasn't happening. There was just yeah. activities happening. Um, so waited too long to revision. Um, there was uh, an unwillingness to to upgrade because there was a nostalgic idea of what the past was. Um, because and, and, and that's some, part of that to, sticker shock. Yeah, and to some degree, well warranted because the people who were here had grown up here, and, and they they said they could say we did this. We, we built this building. We painted these things. We built this playground. Um, they had these monuments, <laughs> for lack of a better term, that they had done, that, that had been part of ministry. And so to say, okay, now we need to change this um, or use it in a different way or paint over it, um, that's, that's hard for people to take um, because yeah, they, were, sure. they, they, they were the generations that had actually worked to put this stuff in place that brought for the sure. church to adulthood for sure so there's there's this definite sense that we have to sacrifice this stuff that we've worked so hard for that's a huge part of that sticker shock you were talking about a minute ago mm -hmm. and there's also that status quo that goes along with that this is the way we've done it in the past this is the way we're going to do it absolutely and there's also some people willing to um Things can change as long as somebody else does it. The leaders can't be the late adopters or the never adopters. Um, and that's a that's a difficult thing for me as a pastor. As, as a as a person, my default is late adoption because I don't want to buy the Betamax VCR, which probably a lot of people have no idea what that is. <laughs> but that's the or or the uh, you know HD DVD instead of the Blu-ray. Um, I want to get the one that's going to last. And so I wait, but as a pastor, that's not where I can live. Yeah, um, there's a deliberate so, choice there. Yeah, for sure. Would you say that your congregation was externally or internally focused when you arrived? We were internally focused. We had a degree. We, we had a look of external focus because we had a youth group that was uh, largely built up of teens that did not attend our church. So we did have a, a measure of, of outward focus, um, but the problem was um, those teens had never been integrated into the full life of the church. Their, their whole families were not reached. Those teens never did ministry in the church. They, they just, they came to youth group and that was it. And, and it was, and it was these, these students and no more. If, if somebody new came in, that wasn't a brother or sister of somebody who was already in, they couldn't get in. Yeah. So, 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 so even the, even the youth group, which had many non-Christians in it was internally focused. It was their own private club. Sure. And what about the unsaved? I mean, surely they knew that there are unsaved people out there. What was the attitude toward unsaved people? It, evangelism was not even on our radar. Yeah. Yeah. Yikes. So that, that, that was, 
that was like I said, there, there was there was no evangelism and there was no broader than that, no formal discipleship structure at all. So there was nothing to take people to maturity and to tell them they need to do evangelism. So, yeah. And I think that's yeah. going to be a, a very common refrain yeah. among churches that are in the retired point. Now, now I will I, I will say this. There 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 absolutely were some individuals who did evangelism but as a church it was not a focus yeah or a priority yeah. oftentimes churches at this phase of the life cycle will have the attitude if they're going to accept unsaved people that they've got to come to us physically they should actually come to our services stylistically they should conform to us spiritually they should get to cleaned up before they come and be part of our church yeah and we were, oh, I, th I think there was a friendliness enough to where people, people at least come in and, and try us out. And, and we did have some people come in, you know, in my early years and, and they, you know, we had some salvations and, and baptisms, um, but it was precisely as you described. Um, we didn't go out and find them. They, they came and found us and they happened to fit our style. And so uh, they, they found Christ in our midst. Um, but we didn't go seeking. <laughs> so, yeah. And let's be honest, when we go seeking infant Christians or finding people that need to be Christians yet, we're going to get messy. And typically people in retirement churches don't like the mess. So here we go. How do we get back from this point, Paul? This, this is a tough, tough spot. Um, for us, we, we definitely needed to bring in an outside consultant, um, to, it gave some, uh, weight to what needed to be done. Um, it also gave us a timeline because, because we knew the consultant was coming, um, people wanted to start getting our house in order before he got here, which was a good thing. So, we were able to, even though it was probably pretty hard, what the consultant group said to us, at the same time, we could also say uh, both to them and to ourselves, look what we've already started doing. Uh, yeah. So that, that, was, that was a good thing. Um, and so part of that process was taking a hard look at, at our real numbers for uh, attendance, our real numbers for evangelism and discipleship, our, our real numbers for uh, what we're doing for outreach, um, and, and taking an honest look of, uh, of where, where we currently are, and, and so people could realize what we need to do so that we're not done in five, in five years. For us, it was even where our money was coming from. We had a family in the church that no longer lived in the area but had not joined a new church so they still tithe to us and eventually that money it, it was just assumed that that money was going to keep coming well no eventually they found a new church <laughs> so um that, that crutch yeah. was gone yeah i i think you made it a fantastic point here that we do need to regardless of where we are on the life cycle spectrum objectively assess our current situation 
you cannot plot a course to where you want to be without first knowing where you are, right? Mm -hmm. So we've got to do that. And you made the point that you guys had to bring in a consultant, an outsider to look at you and help you see yourself objectively. That is a crucial thing at this point, because quite often we have a hard time recognizing that this needs to change or this is not quite right. Yep. And one of the ways to do this kind of for constant revitalization, anytime I have a guest speaker come in, especially if it's somebody that I, that I have a decent relationship with, I, I ask them, okay, what did you notice when you came in? Um, and then tell us one thing that we did well and one thing that we need to improve. Uh, because they come in with fresh eyes. They may not have been here at all, or they haven't been here in years. And I try and do the same thing. Every so often, um, I come in the front door and I try and picture myself, this is my first time here. Can I figure out how to get to the bathroom? Um, does it look dirty? You know, the whole kind of thing. Act like a first-time visitor. Would I like this place? And that's just facility-wise, you know, not even in terms of ministry, you know. Um, yeah. Taking that time to look at stuff from fresh eyes is important sure with our leadership team several years ago we instituted a uh, a quarterly walk through the building and we would start at the curb and i would tell them all right you are a first time guest this is your first time on the property this is your first time in the building what are the things that you're noticing and over the course of a couple of years we trained ourselves to do this on a regular basis and it got to the point where we didn't have to have a set aside. We're going to do this at this board meeting because the board members were just doing it as as they came in every single week. And uh, that, that's a crucial thing. Yeah. You you mentioned the idea of outside help, though, with the speakers. Yeah, that's great but also a consultant. This seems to be a very popular way to go to hire a consultant, have them come in and uh, uh, give us some tips and some ideas, what we need to work on. You guys did this with your church yes, uh, so, several yeah, so, years ago. And yeah, tell us there, a little bit about your thoughts on that. So there are different ways of doing it. Um, not every consultant has, has the same thing. The group we used was did the, it was called maximizing impact. Um, there were some good things about it and some bad things about it. And, and uh, the um, probably the, the bad thing that I'd say about the one we did is a lot of it felt cookie cutter um, because our consultant had done this enough. Uh, he felt he knew what was wrong before he got here. Um, and we had sent him information. So he, he did, he wasn't coming in blind. Uh, but I, it left me kind of frustrated because there was some stuff that he put on the list that we had done if he had just looked, you know, like uh, obvious example was like um, one of his wrote things was put guest parking in the parking lot. Well, we had done that, but he hadn't walked the parking lot. So that, that kind of stuff was kind of a turnoff. Um, but the big important thing uh, that I think you take out of from any consultant is one, you have to leave with a plan, um, mm -hmm. a plan of that addresses um, vision, uh, relationships and actions. Um, so, so that um, like, okay, where, where are we going? 
and 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 what relationships are we going to be building uh, you know outside of the church you, it, part of part of the thing has to be switching to an ex- external focus outward focus um, that's that's a huge thing and then having a plan of of tackling stuff like deferred maintenance um, we had so much deferred maintenance if we had realized how much uh, at the start, I think our consultant would have told us to close, but nobody or realized the building. Yeah. I, yeah. Or sell, yeah, or sell it because what, the stuff I read two years after our consultation was saying, if you have X number amount of deferred maintenance, the building is a loss. Um, and we were over that. Um, but we had some help, you know, we gave our district helped us out and, and we, overcame that that deficit so um i i think um the just just because the the uh the consultant says ditch the building you know take take a hard look at that yeah some buildings just need to go <laughs> um True. we needed a new we our big thing was we needed a new roof and in the time of doing that there was also other stuff that we were trying to stay caught up on like we had to put in a new HVAC system and those are just the big ticket. And there was a lot of little ticket items along the way. So, but we had a plan for working on the building. We had a plan for doing uh, outreach. We had uh, a plans for, for doing uh, internal training. And um, we had, uh, or at least I had uh, constant coaching for at least the first two years um, first I was meeting my coach every two weeks and then it was once a month, um, just to make sure we were following the plan and, and getting stuff done. We didn't always finish everything, but at least we were constantly trying and, and, uh, and, and working, not just, not just in the moment, but working ahead. All good stuff. Let's talk about timelines, shall we? When you're at church, that has entered the retirement phase, how long do you think it's going to take to turn that thing around? That's, that's hard to say. I mean, we are, oh, let's see. We're probably five or um, four and a half. So, um, and, and we're not, we've turned the corner. I'd say that, um, but we're not done. At the same time, I take the point of, revitalization is never done. I, I'm, I'm at a point where Fair we're enough. never, I, I feel like, yes, will we get, will we get to an adulthood where everything's firing all, all center, all cylinders? Yes. But then I'm already going to be saying, well, it's time to start over, yeah. <laughs> you know, for so, sure. Um, for sure. But we but are, I guess what we're looking for is, do you feel like you're spending more time on the left side of the curve, the, the uphill side or the downhill side? Oh, we're, we're definitely working that uphill side. We're working, hard now do we still here's the thing we still have in my mind a lot a lot to go we are we are uh an outward focused church um but we had been internally focused for so long um we still haven't seen a lot of people come to christ um yeah we had to retrain people on how to do evangelism you know, and yeah. that, and, and come up with a, a, a plan for that, how, how we do it in this context, because it's not going to work with, you know, big fishermen. Oh, bring your friend to church and, and then pastor will preach the gospel and they will get saved. That's, 
that Billy Graham model is is gone. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so we, um, like I said, we do ministry outside the church. Um, we we do small groups outside the church. Um, we partner in our community, but we still it's still taking time to see the fruit of that labor. So you would probably say that your church is at about the adolescent phase. Yes. That, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'd I, I put us there. We have, we have vision. We have people go, going there with us. We're still putting actions into place. Yeah. Um, and, and from the time that you first realized that you were at retirement and needing to turn around, it's probably been five years because there was time before the consultant came. That's true. That's true. Time. If we include the time, we probably spent six months before the consultant preparing for the consultant. So yeah, yeah, five years is probably good. So we're at five years. We're not quite to adulthood. Everything's firing on all cylinders just yet, but we're getting closer. Yeah. And, and we also need to keep in mind uh, COVID uh, change some stuff. That might COVID, it, but here, here's the thing: COVID is is an accelerator. Um, you know, it wasn't. It, some churches closed during COVID. COVID yep. didn't close the church. It's where they were on the life cycle. It just made it go faster. Yes. Um, and the same way with us, like for example, we had an online presence. We were live streaming before COVID, which a lot of churches weren't doing, but we weren't doing it very well. Um, COVID pushed us to to change how we do it so we that we could do it well um so um even though it definitely put a cramp in our in our uh outreach ministries um because people weren't getting together for stuff um it still pushed us along the life cycle in ways that that we should have we could have been more innovative before but but we weren't seeing it as urgent so. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely what we've been seeing with COVID, that churches who were already refusing to change dug their heels in even further, and that just flipped them and accelerated their death, their demise, uh, versus churches that were already committed to changing and revitalizing and reading the context, the, the culture of the community they were in and adapting to it uh they were able to use it as a disrupting a disruptive uh influence and and that became a catapult for them to move forward in the process but i i want to go back to the time thing here you've been at this for five years you haven't yet arrived and i think that's a very important thing that people our listeners need to get that if your church is at the retirement phase of the life cycle, you're not talking about weeks or months to revitalization. You're talking about months, even years. No, yeah. You're definitely talking you years. Yeah. You're, you're talking, even if somebody is at a church is at the top of the life cycle, I could still see that taking a year for sure. Um, and so when, um, and not that we did everything perfectly. Um, one of the things that, that we, that we messed up even during my coaching time is because we had so much deferred maintenance, uh, we spent a lot of time just talking about that. And we felt we were doing good because we fixed the building. Um, yeah. And, and there was an assumption that if we fixed the building, that we were also doing the people stuff. And 
and after it's the field of dreams thing yeah and after after about two years i said i said i feel like all i've been doing is building um because that that's been the big thing hanging over our head and i said and i haven't had time for people because i'm a general contractor (laughs) you know and so and and my coach said I did I hadn't even realized that because you were checking off the boxes. I said that's all I was doing was checking off boxes, and I haven't had time to vision, <laughs> you know, and stuff like that. And yeah. so that was one of the things that both me and my coach found was lacking in the particular plan that we did. We had a good plan. We were check we were doing a lot of stuff, but we were almost falling into the trap of adding, of the the building was the vision, and we were adding structure instead of getting to vision and relationships. So yeah, for sure. It, for it sure. took, it took us two years to see that. Yeah. yeah. That's even with a coach. <laughs> so, yeah. Another very important question that I think we have to answer here is let's talk about costs. Financial costs are going to increase dramatically at this stage compared to a church that was at adulthood when it should have revitalized or revisioned or middle age when it should have been turning around if, if you miss those crucial points costs are going to be dramatically higher by the time you get to retirement yeah and it's not just financial costs i mean our financial costs were deferred maintenance we had as i mentioned multiple times we had a lot of that um, we're not talking about a thousand dollars or two thousand we're talking about tens of thousands of dollars at your yeah, place yeah we're we're we got discounts on a lot of stuff and, and, um, we still spend a hundred thousand dollars. Uh, (laughs) so, um, we're, and that's, that, that's for a church. That's, that was twice our yearly budget. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, uh, just, just on deferred maintenance and some new stuff, we did get some new stuff done. That that was one of the things we added in, but also the cost on, on, uh, people, their expectations. One of the things we had to do because all our ministries that we were doing were basically just inward focused stuff for ourselves. Part of our consultation basically said, shut everything down. Don't do anything except Sunday morning service until you figure out how to be outward focused. And so people did not like that, that, Hey, we're not doing youth group anymore. Well, because we're only doing youth group for three kids that, just want to hang out with each other, <laughs> you know, and, and we're not doing kids ministry because it's just for our kids only, not for their school friends, you know? And so we literally shut every ministry down except Sunday morning. Um, that people did not like that. That was a cost. Yeah. <laughs> and and that, that's a huge part of this. Anytime you introduce change, there is going to be a cost in the sense that people are going to say whoa i don't like this there's going to be a cost in the morale there's going to be a cost in the resistance there's going to be a cost even in your attendance have you had anybody that decided you know what this is too much for us we're out paul yo yeah yeah some people some people as soon as the consult consult was over they left they they it it made that was the thing that pushed them over the edge because somebody said this is dysfunctional and and called us out on it and they were gone um and and what they wanted the church to be was not going to be what the church was going to be so there is definitely a people cost some people are going to leave and it might not be an insignificant number yeah 
and depending on the size of your church, um, you know, but here, you know, for, for a small church, you know, one, one core family leaving could be a lot. Absolutely. You know, so, um, Absolutely. And with it, and with them goes, goes their tithes too. And, and their, and their volunteer hours. So, yeah. And those are huge costs, huge costs that you cannot afford to underestimate yeah. as you but, walk into this. But we have to be, now we're not trying to shoot ourselves in the foot, but we have to be willing to take those. You know, I was, I was at a church and we were at a point where we felt we needed a building. And one of the options was to go to a particular neighborhood um, that was um, less affluent than where we were meeting currently. And the senior pastor decided we would not go to the less affluent neighborhood because he had some people say, if we go there, I'm gone. Um, and he wasn't, he said, I'm not willing to pay that cost. And, and as an assistant, I said, you know, if God is calling us there, then we should just let him go. Well, they didn't go and the people stayed and the church plateaued. Um, but the cool thing is now that church is right in that neighborhood. <laughs> so um, <laughs> they ended up I, there and, anyway, <laughs> ended up there anyway. I don't know if the people left or not. But eventually the church went where God wanted them to go. So, yeah, I think that's the bottom line that we have to get to. We have to decide at this point that we're willing to pay the price, whatever that is, to return to the biblical mission of making more and better followers of Jesus where we're called to be. If we're called to be at this particular spot, we better figure out how to make more and better disciples of Jesus right there. That's what we've got to do. We've got to figure out how to make that, pay that price. Any last thoughts for us today, Paul? I think we've had a ton of thoughts. We've, we've have, have people drinking out of the fire hose today. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and not just because it was you, Paul, not just yeah. because it was you. That certainly helped, but uh, all right. Well, thanks for joining us today. And uh, thanks Paul for sharing your insights with us until yep. next time. Uh, be blessed. Be a blessing. Catch you later. Go make, go make disciples. Here you go. Bye-bye.